everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast. Where this week we catch up on every piece of media that I remembered in 2021, as well as going down and talking about my favorite video games, movies, and a whole bunch of other stuff. That's right, we're back to doing normal podcast episodes. Hey, everybody, how's it going? It's been a fucking minute, huh? I was on a bit of an Avatar spree, and that basically consumed me heart, mind, and soul for for quite some time. Uh, but it's done. We we watched it all, um, and now we're reading it all uh, with Kyoshi, and uh, I'm reading the graphic novels on the side, and a bunch more of them should show up uh, in a couple of days, um, and it's very exciting. But we talk about shit like Spider-Man No Way Home. I talk a lot about Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man changed me. Um, we talk about fucking Centaur World and I think Hilda and He-Man, other shit. I don't know. Uh, I also talk about my movie of 2021, my, like, my favorite movie of 2021 and my favorite video game of 2021. We talk about those as well. Um, but real quick, before we get into that, I wanted to do a little bit of like a, of a soapbox if, if I can indulge. Um, and that is the idea of New Year re- New Year's resolutions. I hate New Year's resolutions because I don't like the idea of waiting to become a better individual for the calendar to change. If there's something about your life that you're not happy with, like you want to eat less chocolate or drink less booze or work out more, you do not have to wait for the beginning of the year in order to do such things. Nor should you. You should change when you recognize that you need to change. And I understand that that is hard. It's not going to be any fucking easier in the new year. In fact, it's going to be easier to drop it because the pressure of the New Year's resolution will make it more intense than you want it to be. And here's my other bit of advice. Don't fucking just end shit or start shit. Okay? If you never worked out a day in your life and you decide that you're going to run a mile every day, that's not going to happen. You got to work up to that shit. You got to, you got to, you know... Go around the block. You start small and you build up from there. If you want to stop drinking, drink less. Don't stop altogether, you know, because that's less sustainable. You got to wean yourself off of it. There's a process to this shit, you know. Eat less chocolate, consume all the chocolate in your house, and then stop buying it. You know, like, you just, there's, there's ways to do it. Like me, for example, I don't have a New Year's resolution, but I have decided that this is the year of developing good habits is what I'm doing. So like, I'm going to bed at a certain time. I'm getting up at a certain time. I'm drinking non-caffeinated tea only in the morning, or I'm drinking caffeinated tea in the morning and I drink non-caffeinated tea after 12 o'clock. You know, I always make sure I drink at least X amount of water every day. I'm working out every day. You're like, that's, that's my thing. It's like, I always hated that concept of New Year's resolutions where it's like, I'm not going to eat corn on the cob anymore. Did you ever before? No? Then that's stupid. It's not fucking Lent. It's a goddamn change to make your life better. So, there's my soapbox. That's that's all I have to say about that. And the, the re- end result is you can do whatever the fuck you want. You, you, you can do it. If it makes you happy, go for it. If it doesn't, then don't do it. Just do do whatever. Don't wait for the new year. Don't let other people tell you how to do things. Just do you do you. I'm going to do me. And cultural staples like New Year's resolutions are stupid. There I said it. Let's enjoy the rest of this podcast. A long time ago, seems like 
a long time ago, at the very least. I think it's been a couple of months, at the very least. Um, a show came out on Netflix called Centaur World. And that first season kind of blew my goddamn mind. You may remember I tried it, and then I stopped watching, because I was like, no, it's just a bunch of fart jokes. But I kept going, because it got really good. And then it got amazing. And then it made me cry, like, three times. And I was like, fuck me, that was a great season. And then the second season came out. Also a long time ago. It's taken me a while to actually get around to see it. But I did watch the entire season, second season in a day. Um, it's eight episodes long. But granted, that last episode is over an hour long. So there is that. Um, I, I, so first of all, that's it. Two seasons. It told its story. It's over. Massive props for doing that. Too many times we either don't finish the show or it gets fucked or it goes on for too long. No, this did the Gravity Falls thing. It told its story and it got out. Easy peasy, super clean, super sweet, phenomenal. So absolute 100 out of 100 for doing that. The show itself is just also fantastic. That last episode, that last hour and like 15 minute episode is... Excellent television. Um, I like I I don't really want to spoil it because I feel like that's part of the adventure of this show, and also the show is so I don't want to say random because it doesn't even feel random. It's just so different that it trying to describe it like it the the jokes wouldn't translate. You know, so much of it is just like little little animation quirks or little behind the scenes jokes um that you know, I just wouldn't be able to verbalize particularly well um I will say I am incredibly satisfied with the story that was told um I thought the ending was phenomenal um they gently leave the door open for like further adventures but as a viewer I don't feel the like the that desperate clawing need to see more um if they made more or you know if like some element of this continued i'd be perfectly fine with that but i will also be perfectly fine with them having made this thing and it's great and it's wonderful and it has almost two hours worth of music to listen to um but and if they just leave it then that's great um megan nicole dong the the creator and voice of Glendale um, is has, in my view, proven their fucking creative chops with this shit. Uh, and I will be eagerly waiting for their next project because um, they now have my full and undying support for for whatever they they do next. But I am confident a show of this quality could not have been made without an incredible team of people. Um, the only other name I knew going into this was um uh oh fuck <laughs> i say the only other name and then immediately forget their name centaur centaur world um i think i know it but i just want to get this right uh do 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 where are you 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 butt um shit where are you where's like seriously seriously all right well toby chu did a lot of did the music and they did a great job too fuck um uh, 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 there we go Megan McCarthy um 
screenwriter. Uh, I I knew her from a long time ago, and she was uh, she was one of the one of the writers for Centaur World, um, and she's uh, she's very good. So yeah, this this show came with some goddamn chops behind it. the The voice actors were incredible. Um, the second season did make me cry. Um, I guess I, I, I very much enjoyed the second season. Um, I thought it was very well done, very well put together. Um, that being said, uh, out of the first season of the show, there were some, basically the only thing I had an issue with were the songs. Um, there are a couple of the songs from the first season that I unironically listen to now cause they are absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think out of the 37 songs out of season 1, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 of them, uh, I deemed, like, good and, and listenable. Which is pretty good, all things considered. Out of the second season, it's it's significantly less. Well, I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So out of the 30, 11... Out of the 32 songs of the second season, 11 of them were pretty good. I actually think ratio-wise, that might be the same. Um, I'm not a math whiz, but that sounds pretty close for my liking. Um, but that being said, pretty much like 10 of those songs come out of the last hour of the show. Um, there were there were some other, like there's some fine songs earlier in the show. There's like, none of the songs are bad. They're just not the songs I was looking for. I have been searching for you from season one has become like one, like it was like one of my most listened to songs of 2021. Um, I absolutely adore that song and the, um, writer's lullaby actually like got me through some pretty stressful times of 2021. Um, cause I mean, the lyrics are all about you're okay. You're all right. I'll always be there by your side. Like you can't listen to that shit without like it just, <sighs> it helps. And when when you go through some, some rough stuff, songs like that that can help are very much appreciated. And so those were the songs I was kind of listening for, were the songs that like had a, a, a really nice message and were performed and written and instrumentally put together really well. Um, and out of those, there's probably one song in season two that did that, but there was also only one song in season one that did that, so I'm okay with it. Um... But no, it is it is a really good show, and uh, I loved um, I loved everything about it, and I'm gonna miss it. It was it was awesome. I highly recommend it. It's one of the best. I'm trying to think of other like original Netflix animated shows. None of none of them have have struck me this hard, and that will stick with me for the the as long as I can remember it. You know so. This was a really good show. I want you to ignore, like, don't don't let, like, the styling or any of that steer you off. You gotta trust me on this one. Centaur World is absolutely worth your time. It's really good. And it's not a lot of your time. It's only 18 episodes. It's really fucking good. You gotta, you gotta watch it. You gotta, you gotta watch it. It's just, it's excellent. And I want more. But I will also be happy if they never come back to it. Because what they've made right here is pretty, pretty fucking close to... I don't want to say perfect, but 
there's nothing all that wrong with it. It's a, it's a lot of right with virtually no wrong, and that's just good stuff. Plus, it's funny as hell, and Glendale's like one of the best characters I've ever seen. So, <laughs> it was excellent. Well done. Well done indeed. Standing ovation. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Next up on my list of shows I caught up on because it's been months and I've been busy, but I'm finally getting my world back together is Masters of the Universe Revelations. You may remember that earlier this year they dropped the first five episodes of this. Uh, the sequel show to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and everybody knows that I never saw He-Man, and this was the only exposure I ever had to He-Man outside of shit like Robot Chicken and Family Guy. And this show I thought was pretty good. I loved part one. I thought it was, it was like, accessible for somebody who never fucking watched the original shit, but the characters are so... Well, I don't want to say they're so pervasive in pop culture that it doesn't matter, but if you aren't exposed to... The shows I just mentioned, Robot Chicken and Family. You might not be as familiar with these characters um, as I was going into it. And just being a um, nerd in general allowed me to know some shit. Anyway, but yeah, I never saw the original show. But I liked part one. And I was I was interested in seeing part two. But obviously, because it's been several weeks and or months since part two actually came out for me to get around to watching it. Um, it, it I will you know, it, I, I was just busy. Um, but part two is also pretty good. Obviously, it picks up right when part one leaves off, uh, with Skeletor gaining the power of the universe. Um, and they play around with that, like, a lot. If you watch the show and you take a shot every time somebody says the word power, you're probably gonna die. Um, it, it comes up a lot. And they're not really clear on, like, Skeletor's got some power and then he's a god. And then he gives it up because I, that's, that's the best bit. So... Evelyn is just pissed as all hell that Skeletor is being an asshole. Um, and apparently there's some sort of like celestial convergence coming along that's going to make whomever stands in a certain spot like super duper powerful. Um, and so he wants to be in that spot with the power and so he can gain more power. But then he goes up against He-Man and He-Man's like, well, what happens if I try to call down the power without the power sword? And then he calls down the power and he gains so much unfiltered universe power that he basically turns into the Hulk and he beats the ever-living shit out of Skeletor, uh, which is fucking hilarious. Um, but it's just unbridled rage. Then he almost kills his dad and the dad's like, I love you, son. And then he snaps out of his Hulk rage um, and he's no longer a, a big old, big old madman. Um, but then Evil Lynn, right, she's pissed at Skeletor for being an asshole. And so she's like, hey, I got a plan. And so she fucking seduces Skeletor to give up the power. And then she takes the power from him, which made me laugh like nine ways till Sunday because it's like the power of boners is the most powerful power in the universe. And not even the power of the universe can conquer the power of boners. You just can't, you can't fight that shit. He, he was so fucking horned up. Oh, it was fucking hilarious. I love that. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. It was just like, of course, that's that's what it was. That that conquered the fucking Skeletor. It was his own goddamn boner juice. Um, the fuck? Anyway, <laughs> Evelyn gets the power and she becomes really powerful. Uh, but then you got Teela on the other side, finds out that her mom used to be the sorceress of Castle Grayskull. And then it turns out she's got a lot of power too. She's got like some magic powers. And everyone's like, oh shit, 
you should be the new sorceress. And then she goes to be the sorceress and her ghost mom is there and she's like, you gotta give up everybody you love. Did you ever see Avatar? You gotta, you gotta let go of your earthly connection so you can connect with the ultimate cosmic powers. And Tila's like, fuck that shit. I'm gonna have ultimate cosmic power and I'm gonna care about people and I'm gonna leave this house. And so she, she does all those things and she basically becomes an unstoppable killing machine. Uh, and she goes toe to toe with, uh, with Evelyn and, and all of her power. Um, and then He-Man gets the sword back and he summons the power again. Uh, and then he gives Skeletor some, some back, some of that power. And then they all fight. Uh, and then there's like a big old war outside that doesn't really matter. But then Orko comes back and that was great. And, um, and Orko doesn't die a second time, which was also nice. Even though Orko dying in the first part was the bit that made me cry. Um, cause that was, that was emotional. Um, and, and then, um, and, and then the, the, the sorcerer, like, shows evil Lynn that the universe isn't just chaos and nothingness. It's also full of, like, love and hope and crap, because, you know, of course it is. Uh, and then they, they save evil Lynn from being corrupted by evil and power, and then, uh, they, they end the war, and the, the world is at peace, and He-Man and, uh, the new sorceress, uh, determine that they're just gonna go off and have crazy fun adventures. And meanwhile, Skeletor is getting assimilated by Motherboard, uh, who turns out to work for the Horde. Um, and if you don't know who the Horde are, um, you should watch She-Ra and the Princess of Power, where the Horde are, are done pretty fucking well, um, with, like, Hordak and all that shit, and Catra and all that crap. So, uh, it looks like they've left the door open for, like, a part three, uh, to continue the story. I have absolutely no idea if they've even begun making a part three. Um, to the best of my knowledge, they did parts one and two basically at the same time. Um, and then, like, broke it up for, you know, releasing and stuff like that. And they had that, like, kind of intermission-like special where they talked to the voice actors and stuff like that, which I thought was really good. Um, so I don't know anything about Part 3. I don't know if they're making it. I don't know when it would come out, if they are making it. All I know is that they've left themselves open for the potential of more episodes. Um, and if they do make more episodes, I would be intrigued because it's it's a well-put-together show. Each part is like five episodes, and these aren't like hour long. These are like 22 minute episodes that you would have seen on like TV. They're they're really short, so it doesn't take, it would not take you long to get fully caught up with this show. It's decent. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it's entertaining. I'm enjoying it. Um, and I think it's a really good example of taking something that was pretty um, like toxic masculinity focused and not so great from the 80s in terms of its like political correctness and all that stuff. Um, and it transforms it into making these characters like people with depth and different things. And He-Man is there, but it's not just He-Man. It's the strength of everybody involved in order to make things happen. And um, making uh, like the primary focus of the show, Tila um, and Lynn basically was uh, a really smart move in my opinion. And I thought that was... That was really good. So, yes, I enjoyed the show. It's decently made. And, uh, fuck, you got a couple hours to kill? There's worse things you could watch. I know this doesn't really sound like a glowing recommendation. But the problem is, is that I've seen so many, like, blow-my-dick-off amazing shows lately that this one, whilst being good, can't come close to some of the other things I've been watching. So my current mood of the show is just like, yeah, it's all right. It's fine. Um, I enjoyed it. I'll see part three. That's good enough for me. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. But you're all wondering what show I caught up on next, huh? 
Well, I'm about to tell you. Hilda! Or Hildy? I think it's Hilda. Pretty sure it's Hilda. Anyway, Hilda drops season two. Um, this is the longest season of my catch-up shows that I watched so far. This one was a whopping 14 episodes. And the last episode was a double episode. So, good amount of content here. If you're not familiar with this show, and to be perfectly honest, I don't know too much about, like, where this show came from. So I can't drop, like, a bunch of knowledge on you. But it's, it's like if somebody described Autumn to you and then made that a show. Everything's in, like, really nice kind of shades of browns and, like, fall colors. Uh, the whole show takes place in this town called Trollberg, which is full of magical and fantastical creatures. Um, but it's also, like, very low stakes for the most part. There's a couple of episodes that kind of play it fast and loose with what is acceptable for, like, a Y7 rating. Some some episodes are a bit spookier than others. Uh, they deal with death quite a bit, but in, like, a comedic way where it's, like, ghosts and stuff. Um, there's this one episode where they were threatened to be consumed by, like, the sentient void of space that hungers for flesh. Um, so that was fun. But by and large, it's 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 about this little girl named Hildy. Hilda. I think it's Hilda. Uh, and her friends. As she just kind of... Not necessarily goes on adventures. More like encounters problems and then works to rectify them. It's not like she actively goes out like looking for trouble. She just finds herself in situations that often require her to step in and do something. Because she's just like naturally curious. So the show is basically just her bumble fucking her way into things. Um, and like nine times out of ten, uh, wielding good, uh, and helping something along. Um, and the second season was, was a good season. There were a couple of episodes that almost made me like tear up. Like there's the deer fox episode, which I thought was really good. Um, basically anytime, uh, Hilda and her mom were having like a hard time. I thought that was really sweet. Um, or really good at the, the at, um, to, to counter that. They may not have been like sweet moments, but having like a strained episode because it's like a single parent with a child who's constantly like disobeying and running out at night and vanishing and the mom has just no idea where her kid is. And um, that's one thing that I don't quite get. And maybe this is a holdover from season one of why Hilda isn't telling her mom all the shit that she's up to. Sure, it's, like, dangerous, and her mom probably wouldn't approve, but at the same time, like, lying to her face constantly isn't a good response to that. Um, but, no, I thought the second season was very good. Um, it's a really good show to watch when you just want something, like, to chill to listen to. Like, the music's very relaxing. It's very light. I would call it, like, kind of hipster music, where... A lot of reverb on the on the vocals and acoustic instruments and stuff like that. Very relaxing stuff. I love that shit to just kind of zone out to. Um, the one thing I will say for this season, and not to spoil it, but the like the very last like three minutes of the final episode throw this huge fucking wrench in out of nowhere that makes no sense to me um, at all. But it does explain how at the end of this month. Um, this month being December, I'm recording this podcast pretty far in advance. Uh, there is a, uh, a Hilda movie called The Mountain King that will be coming out, um, at the end of the year that will pick up right where season two leaves off and hopefully explain some shit. 
Because honestly, that came out of fucking nowhere, and I was startled by it. Um, what's also interesting about the show is that there's no, like... Up until, like, the very end of this season, there was no, like, overarching plot. So every episode feels like it could have been the last episode of, of Hilda, and you'd be fine with it. Because they're all, like, basically slice-of-life adventure sort of things that don't require another one to be shown in order for it to be, like, good. You know what I mean? Um, Masters of the Universe, it was a, it was a continuous narrative. Um, Centaur World is a continuous narrative. Like, there was a story, a beginning, and a middle, and an end. This shit has beginning, middle, and the end for each fucking episode. They just kind of do that forever, which is kind of nice and is, is a good break. Um, I do want to give a special shout out to the show for including uh, the Icelandic Christmas tradition, the Yule Lads, and Grilla the Ogress in an episode. I was very surprised to see that, and I thought that was super neat. Um, especially because that episode has Andy Serkis as a guest star. So that was particularly fun. That was a good one for me. Um, but no, I, I, I liked it a lot. And I'm definitely going to watch the movie. Um, it's such a... Like, the show on paper is, like, pretty similar to some other stuff I watch. It's just the way it's delivered um, is so different than all the other ones. Like, it has so much less, like, stressful stuff going on. It's more emotionally driven. Um, and it's it's a very sweet show, is what I'll say. It's It's very sweet. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely worthwhile for that aspect alone. Um, so if you haven't seen it, it is very good. It's a good, like, Sunday afternoon show. Like, if you want something where you're just like, kind of, like, curled up with a blanket, maybe with, like, a fresh cup of tea, maybe it's, like, gently raining outside, you're on your couch, and you're just, like, looking for something on Netflix to put on that's, like, that'll fit that atmosphere so you can relax, this is, like, a great fucking show to do that. Fucking Great British Bake Off is another one that would be phenomenal for that environment. Hilda is like number two on that list for, for relaxing shows to watch on a rainy afternoon, a rainy weekend afternoon when you've, when you've accomplished all the things that you wanted to do that weekend and you finally have some time to sit down and don't do anything. Hilda is your show for that. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Up next on the list, let's talk about Hawkeye. At the time of recording this, I have finished watching the entire show. Um, I'm not going to go into super duper spoilery details because to be perfectly honest, show is pretty surface level um, and there's not a whole lot to spoil. Uh, it's a it's a short story. Um, it does and it, it, it tells a story and it does an okay job of doing that. Um, if anything, the show is, uh, essentially in existence to introduce Kate Bishop, um, as the, the next person to carry the Hawkeye mantle, um, and who knows what future capacity, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm not aware of any plans for that character in future MCU things, um, like movies or uh, another show. We have no idea. Um, and we also don't know if this is the last time, or I don't know if this is the last time we see Clint um, do his thing. But yeah, it's 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 a pretty inoffensive show. Um, it's not the, the best MCU show. That's probably a toss-up between Loki or WandaVision for me. Um, it's not the worst either. It's pretty right in the middle. Um, it had some good funny moments. The, the characters were, were well-developed. I loved the representation 
of um, hearing um, difficulties, uh, whether they were completely deaf or Hawkeye with his hearing aid um, who needed like that sort of assistance. Um, they had some good representation in there. And uh, I also enjoyed the um, minor spoilers here. Um, the reveal of who the, the big bad was at the end of the show. Um, I won't even say who they are just to, just to really keep it spoiler free, but, um, they, they bring in a big bad who, um, has been shown in other things before. Um, and I appreciated, uh, them coming back. Um, and I hope we see them again because I, I always loved that, that particular big bad and they, they do a wonderful job portraying them. So, yeah, Hawkeye probably gets, like, a maybe it's a solid, like, C. I know that doesn't sound very good, and to be perfectly honest, it's just because it's fine. Like, it's it's not inoffensive. Um, I have no desire to see it again, and I'm pretty sure you get everything out of it, like, the first time. So that's my super in-depth Hawkeye review. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. One thing that has become a huge part of my life lately uh catalyst catalyzed sure sparked by uh a recent movie was my uh enamoration with spider-man uh culminated by me watching spider-man uh no way home and i'm gonna talk about that movie but i'm also going to talk a little bit about like the beyond bit what what that movie did to me as a person um and uh, like this this will not be the last time you hear me talk about spider-man um in this podcast so real quick uh spoiler warning if you haven't seen no way home um i'm going to do my i'm not gonna like dictate you the plot because that's not really important to my feelings on that movie um i will talk about the end in somewhat vague terms um so hopefully it won't give too much away i'm gonna try to do my best but i might still ruin it for you so just keep that in mind um the non-spoiler review is that i loved that movie it is the second mcu movie to make me cry um the first one being guardians of the galaxy 2 no shock there no i, I take that back endgame made me cry but like this, those, those were both like character deaths that got me emotionally, um, and this one made me cry for a lot of different reasons. Like seeing some old familiar faces got to me. Uh, seeing characters kind of go through a, like a really, really short but perfect redemption arc. Um, if you've seen the movie, you probably know who I'm talking about. I thought that was great. Um, there's a lot of moments like that that are you could almost describe as like fan servicey, but they were still done incredibly well and um i was watching a review of this movie and somebody was like this isn't really in a movie this is like an event like how endgame was an event you know it, like it was years of movies culminating this one spectacle it's hard to classify it as a movie and i get that for no way home a little bit but no way home is not on the same scale as endgame because it's not 20 odd movies leading to one thing this was uh, you know, two movies leading to the, the finale of this trilogy. Um, but I did love this movie. Uh, I thought all the acting was phenomenal. I thought the music was really good. Um, I can't, I was, I'm about to say it again. The acting was phenomenal. Everybody did amazing in this movie. Um, and that, that cannot be stated enough. 
the the plot of the movie itself was fairly fine um like i enjoyed it i had a fun time watching it um and if you know me and what i like in, in movies um my my big thing for movies like this is romance um and i felt like peter and uh mj michelle jones uh actually we find out that her full name is michelle joan watson which i thought was a little unnecessary but that's fine like do do we really need it to be mj watson did we did we need to go that far i don't think it really mattered like i'm i'm perfectly okay with these movies doing things different from the comic books um especially recently um so that one i felt like it was a little i don't i didn't need that um and i you know that is that is fine and that right there keeping the movies different from the comic books is like my number one issue with how this thing ended because not only did it kind of fuck up the romance to where i was pissed um but the the result of the end of this movie is that essentially tom holland spider-man becomes comic book spider-man he's he lives in a shitty apartment he, he he's getting his ged and fucking you know this is the bit that's spoilery but fucking nobody knows who the fuck he is so he's just he's just he's off to be spider-man which essentially makes this trilogy of movies his origin story which is really really weird if you think about it like fucking iron man got one movie for his origin story and then he went on iron man adventures but they've taken this really cool idea for spider-man where he has a stark suit and he has these mentors and he he fought with the avengers like when he was in high school and he did all these things and they've as far as the world is concerned they have deleted all that shit and now it's just he's made his own stupid suit and he lives in a shit-ass apartment and now he's off being spider-man and the world knows him as spider-man but nobody knows who the fuck peter parker is including mj and i hated that like how dare you make me love all of these fucking characters and then rip it away from me at the fucking 11th hour that i'm still mad about it it's been like a week since i saw it and i'm still mad about it i like it's i don't i don't get that at all and sure the the door is open for them to make whatever fucking spider-man movie they want i already know what i want the next one to be but it's open for them to do whatever the fuck they want so i guess creatively it's like there you go um but i mean we as fans have absolutely no fucking clue what the next round of spider-man movies are you know like six months ago it was said that there's going to be another trilogy with tom holland leading the way now that's not really uh we're not sure this movie w- made way too much money and spider-man is way too popular for them to not make another one that's the that's the state we know in and i know tom holland wants to go do other things as an actor and that's perfectly fine i respect that uh so they might do maybe like you know gwen stacy spider spider gwen or maybe they do miles morales spider-man or something like that but if they go a different route with a different spider person they didn't need to do this ending that basically soft reboots tom holland's spider-man for the next series of films because that's that's essentially what they've done so here's my pitch for spider-man 4 
This is what I want. Based on the end credit scene, we know that a tiny, minuscule amount of symbiote from, from Venom, right? A little bit of symbiote from Venom remains on this, on this universe. It, it stayed, right? The symbiote is intelligent. If the symbiote stayed, the symbiote remembers. That's my theory, right? So I say the symbiote takes over, you know, becomes Venom, right? Or whatever the fuck you want to call him. We, we get a new Venom, but it's like MCU Venom. We just, we just get a new one. Here he is. That motherfucker knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He's the only one that remembers because he wasn't impacted by Strange's spell. He's the only one outside of Peter that remembers. So I say that Venom uses the people that are connected to Peter's life, aka Ned and MJ, to threaten Peter. Peter knows, Venom knows, but the characters in the deadly situations don't know, forcing Peter to tell them what the fuck. That's my, that's what I want. Basically, I want, I want Peter and MJ to get back the fuck together. And that's my rationale for making that happen. I don't see Peter going to Doctor Strange and be like, Hey, yo, you used to know me. Can you restore some memories real quick for me with magic? I don't see that happening. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like the logical route. Um, I also don't see a new love interest being brought in. I know Spider-Man goes through a lot of love interests, right? Um, and depending on who you ask, it's a toss-up between Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane Watson, who, like, the number one is. If you ask me, it's fucking MJ, because she was the first, really. Um, what about Betty Brant? What about Betty Brant? Get off my ass! Anyway, um, that's, that's my thing. Uh, that's, that's what I want moving forward. I really, really doubt we're gonna get there. Um, and this, like, um, coming to terms with the reality of what I've witnessed and now that this is my life, um, I was like, this can't be, this, I, I can't, like, it, it upsets me so much because I cared about these characters so hard and they did, like, the number one thing I wouldn't have wanted them to do. It's a great movie. It's a phenomenal movie. It's it's excellent. But fuck that ending. Um, I, I turned to... I needed other Spider-Man media in my, in my life to wash away the anger I feel for this movie. So I turned to... Uh, I read, like, a couple of Spider-Man fan fictions that I'm still actually in the middle of reading that is like an an alternate take on this exact problem so i'm hoping that'll help wipe my memory clean um but the thing i i did uh, more aggressively and forgive me if i talk about this later in the podcast i cannot remember this point um was i started reading the spider-man comics the original comics i got marvel unlimited which is a, a pretty good app to be perfectly honest with you um, and I started reading The Amazing Spider-Man starting in 1963 uh, to 1998. I think that run went. It was 441 issues. I'm on issue... Fucking issue, man. I'm on issue 22. So I've got a ways to go. Um, but 
yes, I am absorbing the Spider-Man comics into my into my brain space. That's how I know Mary Jane Watson is the first legitimate love interest after Betty Brant, um, who is like the kind of filler love interest, is as far as I'm concerned, because I know Betty Brant doesn't really ever go on to do much of anything, um, as far as I'm aware in terms of the comics. But that's that's what No Way Home did to me. I have never looked forward to a movie more than I was looking forward to Spider-Man 3. Except maybe, like, a Harry Potter movie? Or Star Wars Episode 7. Like, those comparable. Um, or I guess Endgame. But it's like, Spider-Man is, is, is just, like, I fucking, I, I really love Spider-Man. And I am so looking forward to whatever Spider-Man 4 is. And I doubt I'm right. Uh, in terms of what they can do. But at the same time, why leave the symbiote if Venom isn't going to be involved? And I think my logic for the symbiote holds up. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, that's another reason why I'm reading the comics is I want to see if I can figure out what Spider-Man 4 is going to be based on absorbing every Spider-Man comic into my brain. If I can accurately predict what the fourth one is going to be because I have absorbed all Spider-Man entertainment there is to possibly absorb, I've become like this fucking living encyclopedia for Spider-Man. I think that'd be pretty cool. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Let's do a little bit of a retrospective on the movies that I personally enjoyed that came out in this past year. This is the... This is the year wrap-up podcast. We're going to talk about my favorite movies. We're going to talk about my favorite games. And that's probably it. Um, I could talk about favorite album, but I think it's going to end up being something blatantly obvious. Um, so, yeah. So, for movies, because um, my rules for, for game is different. Movies, they have to have come out this year. And they had to have been things that I personally saw. And I want to reemphasize that uh, these are not, this is not like my top five best movies. These were the movies that I looked back on and went, yeah, I saw them and they were okay. There's no ranking to this. These are just five movies that I enjoyed that came out this year. Okay. However, there is one of these movies that stands head and shoulders above all the other ones. And that's, that would be my favorite movie of this year. Um, and I'll save that for last because why the fuck not? All right, first movie I want to talk about, The Mitchells versus The Machines. This came out, when did this come out? April of 2021, basically straight to Netflix. Very sweet movie. Um, it was It's a, a fun animated one um, from the same people that did like the Lego movie and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because I cannot escape that. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller um, are just a goddamn creative powerhouse and they know how to make good shit. Um, and they were working with a, well, with a wonderful team to make this movie. If you haven't seen it yet, it's very good. Um, for me, this is the best example of like, um, tech designed to help people going rogue and turning against us. Um, that's right. I'm calling you out Terminator. This is, this is my, my, my favorite example. Cause that's a fairly common trope in, in media nowadays. Just like, here's a helpful robot that's going to murder you. Or here's an iPhone app that's going to murder you. And this movie does that sort of story but it does it really well because at its core it's a family movie um and everybody's relatable and the comedy is is pretty on point and i haven't seen it in a while but it, i think it made me cry the first time i saw it so that one's pretty good 
Um, again, there's no order to this because I personally think um, uh, Mitchell's versus the Machine is a better movie than Luca. Um, but I liked Luca as well. Luca to me feels like what would happen if Pixar tried to make a Studio Ghibli movie, and it turned out pretty good. I liked it. Um, it's super low stakes, which after years of like high octane superhero movies about the fate of the universe, um, it's nice to have a movie that's basically just about some fucking kids in a bike race. Um, not every movie needs to be about like the fate of everybody. It can just be about the fate of a person. They can just tell a story and that's perfectly great. Um, and I thought Luca did a really great job. Luca is, it's a fun movie to watch. Um, the animation of it is really good. I said the Studio Ghibli connection already, but I also want to throw in Walsh and Gromit in there too with the very weird rounded features of the people. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, they made the, uh, that one fucking Italian dish look absolutely delicious. And now I really want pasta. So that's what Luke, Luca did for me. Um, if I was going to rank them, I would put Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings probably fifth on this list of my, my favorite movies of this year. I like Shang-Chi quite a bit. It's, it's the first, um, like movie in a while for Marvel to really do like a solo story. I know Black Widow came out this year, but I didn't really like that movie, so I'm not going to talk about it. But I did like Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, it introduced just a whole bunch of fucking mythos, and I think my favorite part about it was that it didn't really hold your hand for a lot of it. Like when they go into the fucking other dimension, um, which the name of that place is, escapes me, there's a bunch of fucking like animals and things and tech and stuff that they have over there, and they like never explain any of it. They're like, fuck you. If you want to know what the hell this thing's called, go go look it up. Go figure it out. Like, you got the internet. We don't we don't have time to tell you this shit. Um, but I thought the acting in this movie was pretty good. They do a wonderful job of introducing Shang-Chi. Um, and Aquafina does a great job as the, the best friend. I loved the fact that they did not have, like, a super overt romantic relationship in that movie. It really just does seem like they're friends, and that's refreshing um, nowadays. Um, I imagine they may change later, but as of right now, they're just, they're just bros, just broing out, um, I don't, or friends, just friends, I don't know why I said bros, um, but yeah, they're just, they're just good buddies, and I think that's awesome, um, and I can't wait to see Shang-Chi again, um, and I am a little surprised we haven't seen him again already, that being said, there is at least one Marvel movie that came out this year that I still have not seen, and that's Eternals, um, so I don't, fucking know if he's in that movie or not um sure as fuck wasn't in spider-man so anyway um number two on my well maybe not even number two where would you fall um pro you know what actually eh, meh fuck it it's on the list somewhere um this one uh i enjoyed simply because they didn't fuck it up uh as far as i'm concerned and that is uh my little pony a new generation the, the start of the next generation of that franchise came out this year. I thought it, they did a pretty good job. Um, I'm excited to see the show at some point. That's pretty much all I have to say about that. Uh, all these movies are, are, are good in their own way, and I would recommend seeing them if you haven't. Um, and then, of course, number one, surprising absolutely no one is Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, thousand, thousand percent. No other movie came out this year came even close to my level of excitement to see this film or to succeed in pulling off the, like, meeting my expectations, or, or ex even exceeding my expectations. Um, so, yeah, I am I am incredibly pleased with that film, and I was talking to uh, my, my friends and family the other day about, like, 
what's coming next for the MCU. And I do not care. Like, I'm all see them, but it's like a passing interest for me now. Don't get me wrong, I like the MCU a lot, but until they tell us what the fuck they're doing with Spider-Man, like what Spider-Man 4 looks like, I just, it's gonna be really fucking hard for me to care about what the future of this goddamn shit looks like. Um, because Spider-Man has become, like, my favorite. Um, out of, out of all the Marvel superheroes, Spider-Man is, has rapidly jumped to the top of my list. Like, the, the villains that Spider-Man goes up against are, are phenomenal. The struggles that Spider-Man goes through are so fucking relatable. I think that's why I like Spider-Man so goddamn much. Like, I can't connect to Tony Stark and Iron Man. Oh no, I have all this money and I'm, I have like this metal suit that I, I can't connect with Tony. I can't connect with Captain America. I can't connect with anybody. Struggling high school student who's trying to make ends meet, has like a broken family, like... You can, you can relate to that. That's a much more human story, you know? That's that's what I love about Spider-Man and all of those heroes that are, like, of the high school, you know, teenage superhero age, basically. Like, I love that shit because it's them struggling to be a superhero and do right by, like, their fellow people. But at the same time, they also have, like, school to study for and their parents don't know. So it's all about the awkward, like, questions and, like, the diversions and breaking curfew and getting grounded. But then going out and doing the right thing and getting hurt and not having to come up with excuses for why you're hurt and blah da blah da blah da blah da blah da I absolutely love that shit. Um, it's, it's the best. And no hero does it better than Spider-Man. So, yeah, as far as, as far as that's all concerned, I adore Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man has real fucking problems. Um... Like, outside of being Spider-Man, Peter Parker has issues, like, struggles. And I love that. Like, it's never it's never easy for Spider-Man. But he always keeps trying because he's fucking... That's what you do, you know? And Spider-Man could be anybody. That's what Into the Spider-Verse taught us. Doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Anybody could be Spider-Man. And that's what makes Spider-Man so fucking relatable. Is that he wasn't, you know, picked, chosen for a, a fucking military test... He, he wasn't uh, rich as all hell and kidnapped in Afghanistan. He wasn't hit with gamma rays in a lab experiment. He was randomly bitten by a fucking spider out of nowhere. Fate chose him. And that's that's amazing. So yeah, of course. Without question, Spider-Man No Way Home is, is my number one movie of 2021. Um, and now Spider-Man is my favorite character. To the point that I want to read the Spider-Man comics. I do. I want to I wanna experience these stories because... He did not get this good and this popular from nothing, you know? He had a, an incredible string of successful movie franchises, for sure. But he started somewhere, and he started in the comic books. So I want to look up, like, these are, like, the best Spider-Man comic book stories. And I want to buy the Omnibus, and I just want to sit down, and I want to read them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that here in a little bit. Let's talk about some video games. Twenty Twenty One was a weird year for me in video gaming in that I spent a lot of time playing games that I've either played before like Guild Wars 2 or um, Persona 5 or hey even recently started it a couple of days ago gonna play the whole thing 100% PS4 Spider-Man fucking three guesses why um, but I'm not gonna talk about any of those um, I'm gonna talk about games that I played and beat this year from for my top games of 2021 um and that's that's the thing i had to beat it okay i started a bunch of fucking games this year that i haven't finished yet so that i can't talk about them 
But these are the games I beat, and there's five of them. I went through the Wikipedia, like, 2021 in video games list to remind myself what the fuck came out this year. And as far as I can tell, these are the only five games that I beat this year. So, not great. Especially with things like Diablo 2 Resurrected came out. Still technically haven't beat it. I beat it when the game came out in, like, 2000, but not, not the remake. I haven't beaten it yet, so I can't can't talk about it. Anyway, again, there's no fucking rhyme or reason to this list. Um, I'm just going to start talking about them. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is It Takes Two. Now, I played this entire game through with a buddy of mine, um, and he and I have been playing games since high school, like, together, and we, we have a bunch of fun with it. Um, but It Takes Two was just a, a blast, and it's almost unfair to say it's, it's a fantastic game because any game is made better when you play it with people that you enjoy spending time with. Like, me and my buddy. Like, we had a blast playing that game. Is it because the game was fun, or was it because it was fun to hang out with each other? And the answer is yes. The game itself is incredibly fun. The mechanics, the puzzle solving, the level design in this game is almost second to none. It's pretty fantastic. And I actually haven't talked about this game at all on the podcast, so this is like my review of it. I absolutely loved it. The story itself is pretty... Okay. Um... And at sometimes it's flat out hilarious. You spend the uh, big chunk of this game playing, um, or you, you spend the whole time playing like these two divorcing parents who are miserable with each other. And for a non-insignificant part of the game, your only goal in that game is to make your child cry so their tears can break the spell. And in doing so, you end up brutally torturing and murdering one of your child's favorite toys. Um, and it's completely fucked up and hilarious. So, yeah, that, that game was absolutely fantastic. Um, probably took us a good 10 to 15 hours to beat. We had a lot of fun just bumble-fucking around in that game. Uh, but that was, a, that was a very, very good game. I enjoyed that a lot. Might not, it's not my game of the year, but it, it, was, it was pretty excellent. I know what my game of the year is because of how many hours I sunk into it um, and how awesome I think it is. But we'll talk about that in here a second. Other games that came out this year. New Pokemon Snap for the Nintendo Switch. Actually, two of these games are Switch games. Um, so, there you go. Um, I suppose... Well, no. I was about to be like, what about Super Mario Party or Mario Party Superstars? And I'm just like, that's not really a game. That's more of a party game. It's just like, you don't play to beat it. You play with people. And that probably wouldn't even break my top five. Anyway, so New Pokemon Snap. Um, highly anticipated for me. I adored the original Pokemon Snap. And when this game came out, I basically did nothing else until I beat it. Like, I, I, I mainlined this game and, uh, I enjoyed it. It's exactly what I wanted. A dumb game about taking pictures of Pokemon. That's what I wanted. That's what I got. Good job, new Pokemon Snap. Resident Evil 8, The Village. Or Resident Evil Village, however you want to call it. Um, the first and to this day only Resident Evil game that I have personally played and beaten in the mainline franchise. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought, uh, the, the characters were pretty fun. Um, I loved the, the actual action of the game. Um, I loved the, the, the level designs. I loved that it was very reminiscent of Resident Evil 4. Even though I never played it personally, I've seen people play it countless times. That's a classic for a reason, folks. Um, and I liked it quite a bit. That's a, that's a good one. And it's short. I think it took me about 10 hours to beat that game the first time. Um, and I have not played it a second time, but I, I very much enjoyed that one. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the fourth gen remake. Um, again, I played it 
pretty much nonstop until I beat it. Um, and to this day, I have not gone back to it. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I I love Sinnoh. I think it's great. It was a fun remake. Um, Pokemon games are still fun. I'm excited for whatever the next one is. I think it's Arceus. We'll give that a whirl, see how that goes. But that was a very good one. And my number one game of this year, which came out November 2nd, 2021, is Unpacking. A cute little indie game from Witchbeam Studios. Um, originally developed uh, by Humble Bundle. It's a $20 indie game that is about moving into progressively larger and larger homes and unpacking furniture, or unpacking boxes and decorating your house. That's what this game is about. Uh, it takes about two hours to beat it, and then you're done. But it's so fucking relaxing. And with the year that we've had, with the, the turmoil and the, the stress of the world, it was really nice to sit down with a game with such a simple structure and a cute art design with some nice music and just kind of mindlessly do some things. Um, I, I, I very much appreciated unpacking uh, for how it, uh, how it helped me get through get through some, some tough times this year. Um, especially towards the end of the year when the game came out and then it could, could be helpful. So I very much enjoyed that game. I enjoyed all of the games I just mentioned. Um, and it'll be, uh, I think, a really good year for video gaming in 2022. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to what comes out, uh, next year. Um, I don't think it's going to be a good year for movies, mostly because looking at the, like the roster of what's coming out next year, I don't really give a shit for any of them, but who the hell knows what the hell's going to happen. So yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking? I think, um, I want to do one other thing with this podcast. Before we say farewell to 2021 and enter into the embrace of 2022, even though this podcast comes out in 2022, we're not going to worry about that. I want to do one more quick retrospective, and that is on the audiobooks that I personally recorded that came out in this year. And I think it's a lot of them. Um, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I released 17 audiobooks this year. First audiobook to come out this year was New Moon. All the way back in January of 2021, New Moon came out, followed swiftly by Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. Um, I finished 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea this year. Fuck me, that book sucks. Then we did the Phantom Tollbooth, um, and then we started with the His Dark Materials series with the Golden Compass, Subtle Knife, and Amber Spyglass. Howl's Moving Castle was in there. Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology was in there when I was in Iceland. Uh, the Fork, the Witch, and the Worm. The follow-up book to The Inheritance Cycle was read this year. Midnight Sun was read this year. And we were with that book for basically a month. Um, from September 8th to October 8th, we were reading Midnight Sun. Then we went into The Hobbit and swiftly followed by The Fellowship of the Ring. Chronicles of Narnia Book 1, The Magician's Nephew. Uh, the Little Book of Icelanders at Christmas. Uh, and The Christmas Pig came out on December 25th of this year and currently we are uh, reading uh, The Rise of Kyoshi. Um, it was it was a, it was an excellent year for for the audiobooks. I am almost to uh, 40, I believe Rise of Kyoshi is the 36th audiobook that I've ever recorded. Um, and I intend to do I don't intend to do more in 2022. I don't want to I don't want to make such a claim um, because like I don't want to see it where it's like Oh, I read 17 books in 2021. I have to read 18 books in 2022. That's not how 
I operate. Um, essentially, my my determination process of what the fuck book I read next is made as I approach the end of the book I'm currently reading. And I'm like, I gotta pick what the next one is. And then I look at my bookshelves and figure out what I haven't done yet and what sounds interesting to me. And I pull it off the shelf and I get started recording it. Um, usually before the original or the first book um, that I'm reading ends. So that's the process. Um, and that explains the the rather random selection of books, I would say, up until this point. I'm basically reading books that I think I would have fun. And in case you're wondering, there are a lot of books that I've tried to read um, that don't quite make um, make muster. Like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I did start recording that book. But the problem with Hitchhikers and books like Hitchhikers is that the book itself is funny. And that doesn't work for me because if the book is funny, then there's nothing for me to do besides laugh at the book. And that makes for a bad interactive audio experience. So I tend to avoid funny books. Um, now, if books are unintentionally funny, like the Twilight series, I'm all about it because that book series sucked, yet I loved reading it because of how terrible it was. So that's that's one of those things. Um, or on the flip side, reading books that are utterly phenomenal, like Rise of Kyoshi. This book kicks so much ass, I'm loving the hell out of it, and I cannot wait to get to the sequel. Um, but since I don't currently have the sequel in my hands, it's probably going to be a minute before we circle back around and read the sequel of Rise of Kyoshi. Um, so yeah, that's the, uh, that's what's going on there. And, um, we did a lot of fun stuff with the podcast too, like reviewing all the Avatar shows and all my little miniseries and... Just talking about some general pop culture stuff. Um, I hope you have enjoyed listening this year. Um, I will continue in 2022. Obviously, this is like this is my main hobby, so I will definitely keep it going. Um, and I hope, for the sake of all of us, that 2022 is a pretty good goddamn year. I have every faith in that it will be a good one. And I hope you all had a wonderful end to your year. And I will see you all next week for... Another episode of the podcast, and uh, please keep listening to those uh, audiobook chapters. So, thanks everybody. Have a great new year, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. So, in my in my desire to uh, learn more about good old fashioned Spider Man, and I guess Marvel in general, I I decided to look out and get a uh, subscription to a thing called Marvel Unlimited, which is Marvel's uh, official like e-reader for comic books. Um, and I went this route because when I tried to get Amazing Spider-Man like omnibuses, like the big comic book collections, um, it was like $150. Granted for like over a thousand pages of comic book, but there are like 700 issues of just the Amazing Spider-Man from like 1963 to I don't know when the fuck when. And that's a lot of money to spend instead of the, I think it's like $70 a year for Marvel Unlimited, which gives you access to something like 30,000 comic books. And actually getting access to the comic books once you subscribe took some figuring out. It's not the most intuitive um, service, but I'm, I'm currently reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three um, and as far as I can tell, so Spider-Man makes a debut in a different comic book, right? But The Amazing Spider-Man in the 60s is when he started getting his own stuff. I thought it was just going to be like, here's Spider-Man. But no, it was, it was always called The Amazing Spider-Man. 
Um, or it was originally called The Amazing Spider-Man. But issue number three, when he goes up against Doc Ock, publishes letters from fans uh, with their reactions to Spider-Man. And it's interesting to me to see the same rationale of why I like Spider-Man being stated back in 63 of fans then of why they like Spider-Man. So I'm going to read you this letter and let you and, and we're just going to talk it through. The Amazing Spider-Man number one was quite good as first issues go. And in comparison to other first issues edited by you two, Stan um, Lee and Steve Ditko, it was great. In The Spider-Man, you have a hero that really reaches out to the hearts of the readers. His financial state, his social life, and his acceptance as a superhero are all things that make this guy appealing. Yes, appealing. His appeal is gained more through pity than admiration of him. And oh, how I hate that J. Jonah Jameson, which is particularly interesting because, like, Jameson calls him a menace, but he doesn't, that's, that's about it. Like, you know, you're not supposed to like him, but... It's pr like it's I guess it's it's weird from my perspective because like these comic books are so fucking tame in comparison to some of the other things that we've experienced in like modern day um they almost smack of like a Saturday morning cartoon where it'll be like here's a problem and Spider-Man will be like oh no I have a problem and then he'll usually use some tech solution to figure it out which I also appreciate you know sometimes it's it's like he just punches somebody and then it's over but so far most of the time when he goes up against, like, a villain, he usually comes up with, like, some new kit or he invents something um, in order to take him out. Um, and I appreciate that. He uses his head just as much as his brawn, which is just another reason to like Spider-Man. But this person who writes the letters comment about, like, his financial state, his social life, and his acceptance as a superhero uh, that make him appealing. Yeah, I mean... The key to making Spider-Man a successful character is to make Peter Parker an interesting person. Also, in the very first issue of Spider-Man, they call him Peter Palmer. They misspelled his name in the very first issue of Spider-Man. They call him Peter Palmer. That's a, that's astounding to me. That is incredible. That being said, I don't know too much about Peter as like a character right now. He seems like a little bit of a shit, to be perfectly honest, in these early issues. Um, like, like he keeps like... Having this, like, holier-than-thou mentality where J. John James will be like, Kid, how do you get these pictures? And Spider-Man's like, never ask me that question. And I'm like, geez, dude, calm down. He's just asking a question. Or, like, fucking Flash Thompson will give him some shit, and he'll, Peter will, like, smirk at the camera and be like, Oh, if only you knew, Flash Thompson. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you one day why, why I know... Wait, what's the actual line? Someday I'll tell you why, loudmouth. And I'm sure gonna enjoy it. Yes, sir. It's gonna be a real pleasure. And he's just got this fucking shitty look on his face. Like, that's... He's kind of a, he's kind of an asshole. So, I'm excited for when they figure out how to make Peter less of a monster. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to... I wanted to read the comics. Because I just wanted more... Um, to experience with Spider-Man that I hadn't experienced before. And... Rewatching the movies is one thing, but it's like, I know all of that stuff. I want to know what spawned it, you know? It's kind of like, um, you, you go back to Source, right? If, if I, like, as I was reading the His Dark Materials, which had a lot of fucking uh, connections to uh, Christianity mythos, um, I, w I read up on that shit just so I could appreciate it more, you know? Like Exodus, 
Um, and obviously the, the Genesis story. Like, I just, I wanted to absorb that stuff more so I could appreciate where it came from. And so right now I'm reading Spider-Man because I want to know what what's, like, where it all starts. And it's interesting to me that, like, the very first Spider-Man villain we ever see is this guy named the Chameleon who just disguises himself like other fucking people. Um, not through any sort of superpowers. He has a vest of different costume pieces that he'll slap on together to make different disguises like mustaches and wigs and shit and i'm just like okay that's interesting um but that dude also was able to invent his own spider web gun and they just they just gloss over it like it was nothing like that's that's impressive and then it was the vulture and i just finished reading issue three where it was doc ock so i'm also amazed the like the big screen villains we're like the first fucking villains, right? Like Doc Ock, Spider-Man 2, that's issue three of the original. That's that's amazing to me that they went to the beginning, really, with, with Spider-Man. Like, I, I always figured that they would have based, been based off of like characters that were like more around in that time. Um, like my knowledge of Venom is that Venom was a fairly recent addition to Spider-Man, like 90s, I think, is when Venom, Venom t- came into the... Uh, get into the fold but I, I i i like it going back to the beginning the the fucking terminology some of the some of the words in these old uh comics have also been interesting i i recently learned the word pikers which sounded like a racial slur and so i was like oh boy what does that mean um and according to the internet uh it is a gambler who only makes small bets that's the North American definition. The Australian and New Zealand definition is a person who withdraws from a commitment. But yeah, that's piker. Anyway, let's finish reading this letter. Oh, how I hate that J. John Jameson. I can't really say that I know a fictional character that I've hated so much. Of course, being as I hate him, I have to put in a good word for him. Like, how can the reading public behave, uh, believe what this guy writes? I can understand how a few or even the majority might have uh, sided with him after his first editorial. And it's understandable that as each new masterpiece on his um, part came off the press, that his following might increase. God, this is fucking too real, isn't it? But when Spider-Man saves this bum son, and then he turns around and claims that Spider-Man is a headline grabber? Come on. I say that this J.J. Jameson guy is a headline grabber. Second story was better of the two, and this is understandably, uh, this is understandably so, when you figured that the Fantastic Four were contained therein. I think that Ditko did an exceptionally fine job on the four. I also think that in that story, Mr. Fantastic played a far larger role than he's ever done. Usually he's confined to controlling the thing and the torch and telling others what to do. Question. How was the Spider-Man able to rip off the door of the helicopter off its engines? Or do spiders normally have this ability? <laughs> uh, alright, so... Yeah, he has the proportional strength of a spider, which I think they actually um, clarify later on. Uh, uh, God, yeah, the fucking comments about, like, how could people possibly believe what this guy writes? How indeed! Um, Tom Jones, the person who wrote this letter. Anyway. I also like the end of the story, second, when the four are pondering over the future of the Spider-Man. Uh, the cover of this issue was exceptionally well done in comparison to other covers done by you guys. The costume of Spider-Man is quite good looking, and it's second only to Thor as costumes go. Pfft. Spider-Man's costume, like, this is uh, back when Spider-Man had, like, the underarm webs. Um, I absolutely adore Spider-Man's costume, pretty much, in, uh, in anything. 
Um, but in the in the original comics, it's it's also pretty good. Apparently, this guy was from Aberdeen, Maryland. Tom Jones. I wonder if he's still around. Um, and here's their response. You're welcome, Thomas. Says regarding your question, remember, a spider is far stronger than a human being in proportion to his size. In as much as Peter Parker has the relative strength of a spider and the size of a human, well, just imagine. I wonder how strong Peter actually is. Like in the MCU, he seems to be pretty fucking strong, but I would love to get like a gauge. Um, actually, I think that's also something that Marvel Unlimited does. Like they have like, here's the hero and then they give like stats on that fucking hero. Like Peter Parker is, I think he's 5'10 and 165 pounds. Um, which means this guy's, I mean, he's always been like lithe and wiry, but he's pretty lithe and wiry. I'm 5'10 and 200 pounds. Um, so I would have to lose 33 pounds to be the same body weight as Spider-Man. And if I dropped 30 fucking pounds, I would look way goddamn different. So that's impressive. Um, here's another letter. Dear editor, I just finished reading the first issue of your wonderful magazine. Uh, I love that they're called magazines. I wonder at one point they actually became comic books, but they're magazines. I thought that was very good. I especially like the way Spider-Man spins his webs. This is quite an original idea. One question, though. Why doesn't the Spider-Man appear monthly instead of bi-monthly? Jerome Harrow from Chula Vista, California. Maybe he will, Jerry, if fans feel that, uh, feel the, enough fans feel the way you do. God, I, I love these fucking letters. It adds such a fine context to the comic book. Like... Not only can I look at this as a, as a product of the 60s, but I'm getting the reaction of fans from the 60s. So you're understanding, like, the cultural impact as well. Fucking so cool. Here's another. Dear Stan and Steve, at last you have put out a single comic book devoted to one superhero. Spider-Man. Sure does deserve it. So I guess up until that, they hadn't. How groundbreaking was Spider-Man? Like, I knew he was popular, but did he change the... Anyway. Uh, did he change the game? The cover was exceptionally well done. I do like the cover of Amazing Spider-Man 1. I've never desired to, like, own a comic book before. Like, just to own it. Like, I have comics that I've read because I'm interested in the story, but... Um, like, Spider-Gwen. I actually own, I think, the first three volumes of Spider-Gwen. And um, now I can finish catching up on that thanks to this new subscription service that I'm on. I do enjoy it. Um, I wish the mobile app fucking worked, though. Um, for some reason, it still doesn't recognize I have an account on the mobile app, so I'm going to give it, like, a, uh, another day or so, and maybe it'll work then, because I can see myself losing a lot of hours just on my phone, like, you know, when you're going to the bathroom or whatever, just reading a comic book. Just, that's kind of what, I, what I'm envisioning, and I'm, I'm loving it so far. Anyway, uh, the title of The Amazing Spider-Man on the cover should stay as it is. Of the two titles inside, the one used on the Chameleon story was better. I love how critical people are of, like, the fucking art and shit. Just enjoy the story, man. Um, the plot of the first story was a good one, but I hope that the public will be straightened out and Spider-Man will be on the side of the law and make everybody know it. The plot with the Fantastic Four was also good, but I don't think Steve Ditko drew the Fantastic Four too well. In some panels, the Human Torch looked like he did in Fantastic Four's number one and two. Spider-Man is treated right uh, and is made to appear to the public as a normal superhero. He'll be one of the better ones. Looking forward to the next issue of The Amazing Spider-Man. God, they're so fucking critical of this shit. Um, that is something that I thought was interesting, is that J. Jonas Jameson makes Spider-Man like a criminal right out of the fucking gate. Like, he, he, he barely does anything. He was an entertainer that put on a show. And J. Jonah Jameson's like, this guy's a fucking menace. Like, day one, right out the gate. And Spider-Man's, like, crawling to get, like, back. 
He's like, his public image is in the toilet right out of the gate, and he's not even a superhero yet. That that blew my mind. There's also this bit where after he puts on a show, the guy's writing a check, and the, the Spider-Man's like, make the check out to Spider-Man. And the guy's like, you're going to have a fucking hard time cashing this. And Spider-Man's like, no, I won't. And then he had a hard time cashing it. Just make it out to cash. Why are we even talking about this? Idiot. Come on, fucking Spider-Man. You make it out to cash. If you don't want to tell somebody his name, you make it out to cash. Stupid. Anyway, let's see what the what Stephen um, Stan said to Fred Bronson from Culver City, California. So are we, Fred, but tell us. Just what is a, quote, normal superhero? And then they included a little sketch of of Spider-Man. Um, you know what? That's a good question. A normal superhero. Define normal, fuckface. Uh, last one um, that I'll read for this. Uh, here are some suggestions for Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Have him battle common criminals. Make him more like a detective than a lifeless mannequin who scares away alien invaders. Have pictorial previews of forthcoming issue. Have a letter column in the first issue with comments on Spider-Man's origin in Amazing Fantasy 15. Oh yeah, there is that. That's the that's where he actually debuts. Um, but I don't... It's like a backdoor pilot. I wanted to read when he first shows up. Um, have Steve get, Ditko do all the art and Stan Lee the writing. That's basically what they did for these, these issues that I've read so far. Have the type of the... Have the type of spectacular covers you had in the 40s keeping Spider-Man the main figure. In closing, I would say that the Spider-Man could be the best mag on the market. And you have everyone's hope to be just that. Bill Ryan. Thanks for your advice, Bill. Although we could mention some competitors who probably don't share your hopes. Ooh. Looking at you, DC Comics. And it goes on. Um, this person signs... Uh, you're full of pity, friend. All right, what do you say? I feel sorry. Oh, he writes to Spider-Man in particular. Um, I feel sorry for you, buddy. It's pretty mean of the Fantastic Four to desert you, but I think they will let you in if you tell them about your problems and beat the rocks out of the thing's head. Sure, Johnny Storm is on your side. I'm going to write to the Fantastic Four as soon as possible. Frank Glenn. Hey, hold on there, Frank. Boy, the Fantastic Four get more than enough letters. We're the ones who can use them. Oh, that's... That's fun. God damn. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's really good so far. And I've, uh, hope that I will read some more and get into it. Um, and as far as I can tell, every major line of comic books that Marvel has ever done is on here. I don't know for certain, cause I don't know how many that is, but as, like, as I'm looking things up, I've been able to find it. So... At least the big ones are on here. There might be some like weird obscure ones and stuff like that. But if you're looking for something to get into the comic books, this seems a pretty good way to do it. Um, it's $70 a year or 10 bucks a month if you want to pay monthly. Um, I just went annually because I rationed that this is going to take me a while to actually read all these fucking things. Um, there's also a seven-day free trial. I'm not sponsored, but I wanted to share. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. <laughs> 